I want to read to you from uh, first the uh, second letter to Timothy and the fourth chapter and these familiar words in uh, verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who've loved his appearance. He says, I've kept the faith. And I'm suggesting to you that this is the hub of what he wants to say. That was the objective that he had when he began the Christian life. And he's holding before us the possibility that we ourselves personally can keep the faith until the very end. Um, so what does that involve? Well, it involves uh, we keep cleaving to biblical Christianity. Uh, the faith refers to Christian orthodoxy, Christian confessionalism. Um, I've kept the teachings. I've kept the great fundamental principles of Christian theology. That um, the, since the apostles conversion, the Lord had given him a great body of Christian truth. He revealed to him the glory of Jesus Christ, that he was God the Son, that he was the Son of Man, that he was a prophet and the priest and our King, and that he had done a great saving work. This was the tradition, this is the gospel that he'd been given, a body of belief. It was fundamentally a message. It was a message of the glory of Jesus Christ, a message of the risenness, of the conquest of death, a message of atonement. And God had buried deep in the apostle's soul these great emphases the deity of Christ, the sacrificial atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. He'd given him good news of justification by grace, through faith alone, in the Lord Christ alone. And that was given to him at the very outset of the Christian life. And Paul is saying to Timothy here now in this last letter, the glory of it is that I've kept this message. I've adhered to this great body of doctrine. Despite all the temptations, the opposition of Jews and Gentiles, false teaching in the professing church, the wiles of the devil, the day-to-day -day costliness of a commitment to evangelical truth, I've kept the faith. I heard Professor Ernest Kevin once speak he was the first principal of London Bible College, and he spoke about his father. And he spoke about the last words his father spoke. He said to him, son, the great truths of the gospel, I believed ever since I was a Christian. I believe them yet. So it's a calamity to a Christian, it's a calamity to a congregation to assume that our adherence 
to orthodoxy is guaranteed for any Christian at this present moment to start to think, no matter how I live, no matter how casual my attitude to Jesus Christ, my orthodoxy is secure. That's a disaster if you think like that. We are under constant pressure from the media, from the opposition of the intellectuals of our day. We're under constant pressure from people in leadership in the professing church, theologians. We're under pressure to abandon the great cardinal verities of New Testament Christianity. And so we have to say to ourselves, come on now, like I'm saying to all of you this afternoon, let's hold out this great hope. Let's propose to ourselves this great objective in the future. We're going to keep the faith. We're going to keep the doctrines. We're going to keep the confession. Paul says, I've kept it. He's looking back through his life since the Damascus Road. And he's been keeping it day by day. He's holding to it. He's guarding it. He's adhering deliberately and consciously with effort to this body of teaching. This is your business as a Christian. This is what you're to do, what I'm to do, constantly guard against error. Constantly guarding against being blown about by every wind of doctrine. It's not unknown for people who've been grounded in the truth in our congregations to fall. Stephen wrote us a letter a week ago and he named the people, some of them well known, who have ceased to guard the faith. Now, um, Paul's life wasn't perfect, even measured by his own standards. But he knew that there was mercy and forgiveness. That though he fell seven times, Jesus' love for him and power for him was such that he could pick him up seven times. He lived in a world of turmoil. He lived in one of the darkest periods of human history, a period of tremendous change, accelerated change, calamitous change, with the imminent collapse of civilization. And yet Paul knew the lamb was in the midst of the throne and he had all authority on earth and in heaven. And he was working all things together for his good. He had the theology of the sovereignty of Christ, the lordship of Jesus, and he took it and he made it his peace, his composure, and he made his theology sing. He made his theology pray. He made his theology live. Paul's doctrine spoke to the depths of his heart and soul. It gave him peace with God. It gave him composure at the times of calamity. Paul's doctrine made him labor, always abounding in the work of the Lord, never allowed him to stop working. I've kept the faith, he says. 
Well, now, how did he keep the faith? Well, he tells us in the famous words that follow. I have fought a good fight. I have fought the good fight. Um, every Christian has to fight the good fight. There's no way you can keep the faith without fighting the good fight. Now, what is that fight? What is that war against? Well, it's against, firstly, remaining sin. Indwelling sin. The flesh. And we fight it. We don't give it a titbit. We don't nourish it in any way. We starve it to death. We fight against remaining sin. Um, we fight against the devil, against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. If we are to keep the faith, we have to battle with them. We have to put on all the armor of God, the breastplate of faith, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, our feet shed with the gospel of peace. We put it all on with care. We have to do that because we're fighting such a merciless, mighty foe, the God of this world. And we're fighting also against the world. The world is defined in scripture as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And we all know the power of it, the power of the world. And if we're to keep the faith, then we have to fight, fight with these things. We rise in the morning and we say, have I kept the faith? And at the end of every day, we look back, have I kept the faith today? You remember what you're up against, the wiles of the devil, the roaring lion who wants to devour you. And you're seeking strength and help from God. We're fighting the fight. We make effort. We discipline ourselves. We deny ourselves. We mortify and agonize and wrestle. This one thing I do, I'm pressing on toward the mark. And so um, we have to be tremendously serious. Charles Simeon was the great preacher for many years in Cambridge at the beginning of the 19th century. And he hung in his study in the church a portrait of a wonderful missionary called Henry Martin, who'd gone out to Persia and learned the language and died there as a young man. And he saw that portrait, those eyes looking at you. And he said, every time I look into that face, face, it says to me, don't trifle. Do not trifle. There's a war on. There's a war in my soul. There's a war for my soul. I hope that's not melodramatic. It's poignantly true and relevant that we are in a fight. And as Churchill said, we have nothing to offer but blood and sweat and tears. And we know that. And we have to stand in an evil day. And so we have to fight if we are to keep 
this space. And then the other thing, we have to finish the race. Everyone starts and runs so fast and so easily for the first quarter of a mile in a marathon. And then you dig in and you plod on. Kerry said, I'm good at plodding. And every Christian has to learn that lesson. The prize is given to the one who finishes the course. And that's the challenge that each one of us faces this day to finish the race. And so, my friends, you see, it requires, again, effort. No one is carried in a race. No one runs without effort. There's a stitch. There's a blister. We are fighting for breath. And then the course we're taking, it's a narrow way. And sometimes it goes through the valley of the shadow of death. And it experiences something of the sufferings of this present time. And sometimes we can only walk. We haven't got the energy to run. We plod. There's darkness. There's a lion in the way. There's the problem of our own fitness. And we're running. Our legs are bursting. When we're saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God it's through Jesus Christ. And so we're climbing a mountain, panting for breath. We're meeting tremendous, appalling obstacles. Sometimes we run through water, through the deeps. Sometimes we run through fire. Sometimes we're bearing our load and we're carrying the load of others too. And we're saying, who's sufficient for these things? And there's a thorn in the flesh and it's the thorn in my foot. And every time I put my foot down, I'm feeling, ouch, the pain of it all. But I'm running the race. And many days, the Lord refreshes me. He's by my side. Like those marathon runners that get cups of water and glucose and it keeps them going. And he's my shepherd and he's leading me. It's by the still waters. It's by green pastures. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies are the great days that are great years when the road is easy. And then my soul makes merry and the sun shines. And then there are other days and I need stamina. I must keep on going and keep on and keep on and keep on. And that's the only way God has given us a faith. He's once delivered it to the saints and he tells us there's the possibility that you however weak and inadequate you feel you can keep this faith you can keep on you can keep on fighting and not lay down your arms and not surrender you can run and keep going and striving and plodding with self-denial and discipline you've got to do it he that endures to the end 
will be saved. And the end is, oh, henceforth, a crown of righteousness. Prince Philip was Queen Elizabeth's husband, and they wore crowns for the great ceremonial occasion. And every Christian, ah, tomorrow he's being buried. The Christian is looking forward to his crown, his eternal crown. The Lord will give it to me in that day, but not to me only, he says, to all, everyone who've loved his appearance. Do you love him? Do you love this savior, this great teacher, this lamb of God who loved you and took your judgment? You love him. You love this one who shepherded and given you every good and perfect gift, kept you till this moment. You're not in prison. You're not in the gutter. You're not addicted to drugs. You're here with uh, a group of fellow Christians and you're here to have dealings with God because you've kept the faith. Grace has kept you until now and grace will take you home. We have much to thank God for. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that we can say we've kept the faith until now. We've fallen many times. We're unworthy. But you've helped us. You've picked us up. You've strengthened us. You've brought us back to yourself when we've been prodigals. We bless you, O Lord, that you're the one who restored Peter when he denied you. And we thank you for restoring us. Give us a spirit of prayer and praise now. We ask it for the glory of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.